Hi, everyone, and welcome to Beyond the Boundaries, a group relations podcast sponsored by Group Relations International. I'm Amber, and I'm here again today with three of my buddies, uh, Manny Molin. Hey, hey. And Coach Love. What's happening, people? And last but not least, Lauren Levy. Hi. And today our episode is going to focus mostly on valences. And so Lauren is going to give us our technical definition of what that is. And we will dive in as to what it means to us and our experiences with it. Lauren, take it away. Yes. So a valence is a term that's typically used in group relations spaces and in life. A valence is the tendencies to internalize, collude with, and respond to the projections of others. It's the propensity of an individual to occupy a similar informal role repeatedly in groups, and it depends on one's object relations and social identities. So what the hell does that really mean, y'all? <laughs> <laughs> right. Manny, did you have something you wanted to say? I mean, you look like you want to talk. <laughs> well, for me, I don't know. And I think about valences, I think about the experience of you know, kind of being in a group and, you know, having this identity show up where um, it's kind of like, okay, it seems like I'm, I'm, I'm kind of more in a, uh, de- like a defense mechanism mode. When I think about valences, I think about like being in a, um, using defense mechanisms and how that can kind of be like work avoidance. Um, and so, that's really kind of what the experience has been for me with valences. So it's kind of like, you know, I'll show up in a group and maybe, you know, something's being said and, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm like the kumbaya person. So I just, I, that's quickly my valence. I just want everybody to get along. And so, you know, I'll just play that out and that becomes kind of my valence. And so in a way, I'm just curious to like, when we talk about valences, is it something that's, that's bad? Because you know the way that i've understood it it's almost as if like it 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 can be seen as bad but then it it can also be seen as something that can help the group move forward if if it's identified so i I was just more curious about it if that part of is it bad or not yeah i would say valences definitely aren't inherently bad like there's definitely positive illnesses and negative ones and i think that that just kind of determines on who you are as a person and how much your valence is actually aligned with your true desire um, in your values. Um, if you're doing something because it's been serving you at some point in your life, but not actually fulfilling you in your soul, um, or goes against like where your spirit actually is, then that's when I think it's a problem. Um, or if you're always showing up in a bajillion different spaces, the exact same way, like (laughs) we're dynamic beings and spirits. So we should have different ways that we show up and different things that we have to offer. So I think that's, you know, too much of anything is a bad thing type of concept. Yeah, I think, yeah, I was just going to say for me with valences, it's one of those things around, you know, how you typically show up in a group and what you do to move the group forward. I know like for myself on a more personal level, you know, I tend to show up as the one that has the idea uh, to get us through whatever challenges we might face. Um, if you leave me alone long enough, I, I can find the answer to it to help us all out. Um, I don't think it's a terribly bad thing to do or, or good in of itself, but there are times when if I act on that valence, 
then I can create long hours of work for myself that I don't necessarily want to do while everyone else seems to uh, be able to go out, have fun, enjoy life and, and what have you. And so um, in those moments, I would say that's where that social identity begins to kick in that uh, Lauren was speaking to in her definition. I'm like, man, what in the world is going on? Why am I always the one here? Why am I always the one working late? And so most days I try to ensure that it aligns with what I think I want to do with my life. And then it tends to make a little more sense. Can I add something to that? I feel like for me, naming valences is actually very vulnerable and scary sometimes though, because in my experience, once people know your valences, they, they can weaponize that against you and they do, or they put you in boxes because of the valences that are bestowed upon you or that you claim or name for yourself. And I find that very constricting and frustrating at times. Um, and it's something that I see happen in group relation spaces. And as that's a microcosm for the, as for life, as, as, it, as we know it, I feel like that's the shadow side of a valence. And like Amber said, it's not inherently bad, but valences can be utilized in violent ways. Yeah, that's real. I can connect to that. Um, I, the experience that I shared with you all last episode about my first GR experience, um, I was very much thrown into being the angry black woman slash female body person. Um, and that's something that as an Aries with a short temper, like that's easy <laughs> for me to do. Like I can be <laughs> angry. Um, and I don't, I'm not afraid of, uh, any type of combativeness or um, I'm not conflict avoiding in any way. Um, but I felt like through that semester, like it was getting like uh, overworked and like used to weaponize. And like the only way the class could do work was if I was the vehicle for which the work happened. And if I was completely, you know, basically cursing somebody out, it didn't matter if it was an old black lady or a young white guy. <laughs> and I felt like knowing myself and being like, I would never in like my regular life, like I feel like there's certain things that are just like a no-no for me. And so that's where it comes in as far as like my values or like how I truly felt internally, like looking like from an aerial perspective of how I was acting was not aligned with how I actually wanted to be acting. And that's when I knew that the group was using me to perform something on behalf of them. And that's when I decided to take a vow of silence, which some would say maybe is an overcorrection, but it's a way to be like, you're not gonna get the angry black female body person, no matter how hard you try, because I'm not responding to anything. And the second half of the semester was a lot more chill, fluff, kind of the regression back to like the simple conversations, because I guess I was the only one willing to dive in and hold the complexity for everyone else. So I definitely feel you in that. Um, I feel like now I reject that whole valence altogether, which I've noticed in recent years, like then that loads up other black women with it sometimes. And so that's something that I'm like learning as I go as far as like, okay, well, how do I take up my anger, but in a way that I can learn from and I'm not just being used as a tool for the to get off with. Like, is it helpful or is it not helpful type of thing? Um, that's interesting. I'm actually curious if 
um, when you took that vow of silence, if that was your valence showing up at that time? Um, I wouldn't say it's a valence because it wasn't my inherent way of stepping into the space or it's not something that I, in other groups that I occupy, that I uh, pick up or something like that. Like, I feel like the idea of a valence is that it has something to do with who you are as a person and then how you are in groups combined, like nature versus nurture type of thing. Um, but I feel like in that space, it was very much like a decision because the group was still trying to get a reaction out of me um, and still trying to engage me. Um, and I like specifically, even though there's a hundred and some odd people in our class, right? So there was a way that they were trying to pull me back into that particular valence. And I was just making a decision for myself. Like, you know, <laughs> I'm not going to do that. Uh, yeah, and just a real slight correction with that. So that when we talk about a valence being put on someone, Manny, I it, I don't think that that is what a valence is. And and Amber, you spoke to that wonderfully. I think what you were speaking to there, um, Manny, is what they call projections. Valences. Valences actually come from if you go back to the definition that Lauren read. I mean, there there's a long history behind that on a personal level. Our life experiences start to show up and they start to shape how we what narratives we bring to to the to the moment and then the social identity piece of it you know that would be the avenue if you will to see where our life experiences social identities meet now what do we have going on there yeah and we're definitely going to dig more into projective identities too so that's helpful that you help illuminate the difference between them because they can sometimes get completed <clears throat> Uh, so do others maybe want to share one or two of their valences? I'm like, we got the angry black female body so far. <laughs> what else do we, I think Manny um, is the kumbaya. Everyone come together. So Lauren, Coach Love. <laughs> yeah. I mean, mine, one of mine is uh, I usually get pegged mostly my personal relationships as like a very sensitive or highly connected to my emotions kind of person and in groups that tends to be uh watered down a bit and I get labeled as either provocateur or my mentor told me that they see me as being um reactionary but in a helpful way whatever that means um but I'm very in tune with my emotions and, and that gets a lot of projections on me and being a white woman as being, you know, like a fragile white woman, which at times of course is accurate. Um, but I've also had experiences where that was like thrown at me in a way that didn't feel aligned with what, what was happening. And, um, you know, I think sometimes I, I get pinned in this space of like, oh, you're just the emotional one or, oh, you're this, oh, you're that. And I have a really love-hate relationship with that identity that I definitely have to own and hold. So so you're saying that you feel like you show up in groups as emotional and that's hard to hold or you feel like you're talking more about projections, like people put being emotional onto you? I'm sure that I show up in groups emotionally. That must be my valence, but I always water it down. Like I don't show up to a group of strangers and just usually sob, but people still project onto me 
the role of being like a fragile white girl sometimes or um, overly sensitive or whatever it is. Um, so it's both. Okay. Do you feel like you have like another valence that feels more aligned with who you are and less about people's projections on you or? I can definitely resonate with provocateur, um, the shadow and bright sides of that. I think that's true. Um, I, I use that a lot in my life, consciously and unconsciously, of course. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. What about you, Rob? Well, as I spoke to it earlier, you know, the one that comes up with the answers. So, you know, something like a, a magician, if you will, if you want to use like archetypes or whatever to talk about that. Um, and I think in groups, you know, the way that what uh, gets projected onto me uh, as someone who is something like a sage or is wise or in some sort of Netherland place or whatever um, that, you know, comes to visit every now and then to say, hey, how y'all doing? Here's some wisdom. And then I go back to, you know, wherever that plane is. Um, but yeah, that that's what I tend to work with and, and go with in groups. So the idea of being... Uh, emotional um, doesn't really get afforded to me uh, as much as it is just the the intellectual side of things so when the emotions do kick in uh, it can be something of a shock to the system or a huge disruption uh, to to what goes on and I think in some other cases whenever we're trying to get something started you know um, I actually do take up that idea of you know being um, the one with the idea and, and, and I run with it. Um, so I tend to work better at the beginning of something if you're looking for ideas and ways ahead on something. But if it's already been done, then, you know, that that's kind of pointless um, and can create some tension mm -hmm. for me. That's interesting that people don't allow you space to have emotions or anticipate that you would with love being in your moniker. Like, I feel like it's like not just the wisdom side of love, but like love is a very deep emotion that brings out anger, sadness, you know, joy, all, you know, sensuality, all of those things. And so why <laughs> you know, well, I mean, maybe again, your identities, <laughs> big black man, military, <laughs> you know, that you know, obliterates the idea that you could actually be a multidimensional human. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I think for me, as far as like projective identification that I've noticed in like the last I would say like year specifically has been the idea of like mentoring people who are older than me, which is like weird. So like I did a conference earlier this year and I was in like a mentoring pair and I'm in my twenties and I feel still very new to the work, even though I feel like I've done a decent amount of my short time doing this work. Um, but yeah, only had worked on a, one other staff before working on the staff earlier this year. 
and was supposed to be getting mentored throughout. And my mentor has said a few times to me, like, I don't feel like you need any mentorship. And like, I actually feel like you're like mothering or like mentoring me. And like, I didn't feel like I was taking up that role in any way. So that's why it felt, felt like a projection and like definitely was not my feelings to care for other people like at all. I can be very uh, selfish as an only child um, and, you know, all of my other complexity of identities. And then just wrapping up, a conference again recently where you know two people who were older than me like one guy was like I was thinking to myself like what would Amber do and I'm like no don't think to yourself what would I do like I don't know so yeah that felt weird uh and then having yeah another person be like oh my goodness you're so wise for such a young age like I feel like I just want to learn from you and so it feels interesting because I feel like on one way like I guess like on the ego side it's like oh cool people that I are more experienced or older or whatever, feel like they have something to take from me. And I guess that's positive. But then on the flip side of that, it's like, it brings up for me my social identities as a Black female body person and how we're often looked at as stronger than what we are, that we can handle more than what we can handle, that we don't need the same type of guidance or tutelage or handholding or whatever you would want to say that it is along the journey. And so it feels premature <laughs> as a 26 year old right now to be like, oh, you can mentor this 50 year old and this 55 year old and this 30 something year old when like I'm still looking for guidance in my journey. So that's something that I've been grappling with recently as far as like, what does that really mean and why am I getting that uh, projection recently in the last few months slash year? Hmm. You know, it just kind of dawned on me that, you know, we, we defined what valences were, but I don't know if we really got into the, what the projections and, and the projective identification or projective identifications are. So just real briefly, you know, I'll just kind of throw out just my, you know, unacademic uh, <laughs> definitions of them. But a projection at the end of the day is something that uh, you attribute to others that you yourself are not ready to deal with. Uh, that happens at an individual level and it also happens in, in a group setting as well, in which a group is not ready to deal with something and they attribute that to another person. Uh, so, you know, an example of that, you know, in sort of just common everyday talk is when we say that someone got scapegoated, right? So something that, you know, someone else is not ready to deal with about, you know, some problem, whatever, they attribute that to some person who will take the fall or take the blame for things. Mm -hmm. Now, that being said, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's a bad thing. Sometimes there are good things about ourselves that we're not mm -hmm. ready to accept and we attribute that to someone else. You know, like Nanny has a real cool podcast voice. That is my projection onto him. You know, I am not ready to accept that I have a voice for podcast, you know, for podcasting, but I can acknowledge that in Nanny. Yeah. Another big one is someone, one of my friends wrote a paper about actually is um, America's um, love to hate Trump um, basically is like we can load Trump with all of the negative things that we don't want to own in ourselves. And like if we actually had to see the Trump within, then we might not feel, you know, as intensely negative towards him. So an extreme. Yeah. On a, on a social societal level that's really going on right now this moment right. so yeah that, that's really very evident and powerful and, and we can see the repercussions of that right, right? 
Well, thanks for bringing us back to the definition. I feel like that's helpful to, yeah, make sure the listeners can know what we're talking about, so. Yeah, and then just one other piece of identifications. Um, that's where a projection is offered to someone and that person receives it and begins to act in alignment with that projection. Mm. Uh, and when that happens, you know, that, that's when a lot of fun can begin in the world of group relations. And you start to figure out like, what am I accepting? And Amber, you spoke to this earlier. You know, what am I taking on from the group? Uh, which is which would be a projection. Mm -hmm. Do I identify that? If I accept that, then I have projectively identified with that. Right. But if I if I'm aware of that, you know, then I have a choice. Mm -hmm. I don't want that. I give that projection back to the group mm -hmm. or I take it up and I keep moving forward. Right. And the valence is kind of like the springboard to, to make that decision. Yeah. One thing that I um realize too is that how you give it back to it how you give the projection back to the group <laughs> really matters <laughs> to a degree because there was a certain time and I think that this more so happens in longer sustained groups so like if it's your job or if it's your you know class for me it was like a semester long class where like I, the group had determined that this is who I was and they were not going to let me be anything else no matter what way I served it to them. If I came in with a textbook definition, if I came in with like my own lived experience as a black person, if I cried about it, if I yelled about it, they didn't care. They were going to see me as one way. But I think in shorter term situations, you do have the opportunity. And we always at the end of conference life talk about role and review and what do you want to change about your role tomorrow? Because typically you are allowed that grace to show up differently the next day. And so it's about paying attention to the group you're in. What is the currency for getting people to truly hear you, whatever that means, whether it's a physical body, whether it's a way of approaching a conversation, building those allyships uh, within the group, but then making sure to help them see like, hey, this is what's happening to me. And like, I want to work with this with you. Help me. Let's work together type of concept, whatever that means for that group. Yeah. And I think that can be really challenging what you just said. I'm thinking a lot about the white fragility example that I gave because in the particular group where this happened, um, a Chinese guy or yeah, guy about my age had forgotten my name after like a seven week program um, working together. And I, I was really offended by that. And I was like, how do you not know my name? And, and just kind of like named like, ouch, that hurt. And his reaction to that was to basically come at me and be, and say something like, you're just being a fragile white girl. Sorry if I hurt your feelings, white girl, basically quote in quote. And I was like, Oh, Whoa. Like my reaction to that was to just like be silent and actually one of the younger um, women in the group who was a person of color spoke up and, and kind of said to him, like, I don't really think that that was fair for you to put on her, which I really appreciated because I didn't feel like I could give that back to the group. It felt really like scary and weird and dangerous to do that because from my perspective, I felt like, okay, if that's how he feels, like, 
I can sit with that and hold it and maybe I'm not taking it in in a fair way in my privileged whiteness. Uh Um, So like you were saying, Ember, I didn't feel like I could give back in that way. I just stayed silent. But the fact that someone else that was a person of color freed me up from that, like if it hadn't been a person of color that had said that or another white person had said it, I feel like I would have still just sat in my silence. Um, But after that person said that, then I was able to be like, yeah, like to me, I know, I understand the projection of being a fragile white girl and I can own that at times I am. But at that exact moment, like, I was just expressing an emotion to you. And it's not like I'm sitting here sobbing on the screen. I just was telling you how I feel. And I feel like, yeah, that is um, difficult sometimes to know the right way to be like, "Mm, I'm not sure about that without just getting more and more projections piled back onto you, which then can lead to you being assassinated or scapegoated and then feels even worse. So, Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a really good example of Sorry that it happened to you, for sure. I mean, hey, yeah. it's life, right? <laughs> it might be life, but I really think that what both of you are speaking to now speaks to the power of the, the valence projections and the projective identifications and really the histories that are associated with those projections and how they are spoken to and how they're taken up and how they are worked within a group which when you really are thinking about, you know, being a member, you know, either in a group religious conference or a student in a class, or even if you're working on staff, you know, whether that's the class or um, in, in, in a conference, um, it's a lot to pay attention to. You know, it's a lot to be aware of and to be able to speak to or to be able to sit with, you know, some of the historical contexts, you know, within which those, um, projections, projective identifications, and valences are actually worked. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a real powerful piece, which I think goes back to the example we were speaking to earlier, Amber, about the projections onto uh, President Trump, you know, from the group. And there are deep personal histories associated, you know, with, with you know, not only just the person, but the social identities that are at play. Um mm-hmm with that it's it's a lot to take in yeah i think this also just connects me to the spiritual work of spiritualness of this work um that it is so much about lineages and legacies and whether that's like familial ones whether that's like group relations family tree dynamics um or whether that's just like yeah social identity stuff that we inherit um, and ways of engaging with one another. Like America has been operating with very specific types of caste systems along social identity lines since its existence. And like, even though we tried to evolve and change, like that is all still connected and it shifts and, you know, morphs and things like that. But we feel that we breathe that our hearts palpitate at certain things <laughs> that, you know, if we weren't told, that was bad or that's something to fear, um, then we might not feel that way. Last night I was watching Chopped and they had a black chicken because uh, it was a chicken episode. So they had like different types of chickens and eggs and the black chicken, everyone was like so afraid of. But like when I Googled the black chicken, it was like gorgeous and had like the shiniest feathers and it's very rare. You can only find it in Indonesia. But because we as a society for 
like even like the world even like old European playwrights and stuff like black is bad black is bad black is bad so whether it's a human whether it's a chicken <laughs> like these people are afraid like don't cross the black cat but like <laughs> why you know so like that's just like another example of like all of the shit that we bring with us as we are in one particular instance at one particular moment and it's just so much beyond just us as individuals and even our family dynamics, but it's like our, you know, country dynamics, our world dynamics, um, you know, our lineages and ancestry before us. So, it's a lot. So, I hate that you just repeated that three times. My like emotional valence came up in my therapist self and I was like, no, you, we have to change that. Black is beautiful. Black is beautiful. Black is beautiful. <laughs> like here you just repeat that like that actually like, did something inside of me like yeah. I didn't like that but I know that's like reality in the world it know? is yeah I'm like when we were in like middle school I think we did like a good like look up in the dictionary the things that are associated with black versus like white and like it's mm-hmm. dark as day you know yeah yeah I feel like I, I should be saying you know Wakanda forever <laughs> period <laughs> Somebody go out there and buy themselves the onyx, okay? And then (laughs) so I guess like one thing that, you know, speaking of lineages and things that come before us, our valences specifically um, are often created in what came before the group that we're in. So, you know, first we are to our families, um, and then we belong to maybe our, you know, friends and then our subsystems of communities so like for rod the military would be a community that has indoctrinated him in a certain way to show up or to have reactions to certain things and think about things specifically so do we want to maybe talk about the roots of our balances and you know how we think we arrived at some of these things yeah anyone feel inclined to dive in first yeah i mean if um yeah, I, I don't mind jumping in. I mean, for me, the when I think about, you know, just kind of where my valences have come from and the groups that have, you know, that have uh, been a real big part of that. I mean, of course, you know, there's my family and, and all the dynamics that are there. Another real big one for me is uh, basketball. You know, I, I've, I've spent a lot of time, you know, playing basketball, practicing it. And, you know, if I'm not doing work or, you know, at home, you know, I'm in a basketball gym, like that's, that's like my, that's my home, right? And, you know, for many people that, that know me, I mean, they'll say that that's when, you know, the, the real rod, the real rod actually shows up, you know, because that's just home for me. Um, and, um, you know, you, you take those two, you know, pieces you bring you know a little bit of you know a church background into things um you know going into a catholic school growing up there i mean the underpinning of all of that is just discipline 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 and so um you know when my high school teacher said hey you know you may want to think about applying to west point for some of the military academies i'm like what is that everyone else is talking about harvard like what are we talking about you know um you know, it was that disciplined nature that once I got to the Air Force Academy, it wasn't much of a stretch for me to adjust to the discipline. It had already been a part of my of who I was and, and what I do. Um, 
but yeah, so, you know, you, you put all that together and it makes for a, you know, a, a person that, um, in the air force, you know, being in a, a military, you know, we kind of have a no fail kind of type culture, you know, succeed, find a way to succeed, find a way to win, find a way to demonstrate excellence, find a way to get the mission done, you know? And so, uh, you know, we, we, we find a way to do that and, you know, thinking, you know, about failure or, um, it's just not an option, you know, on, on a lot of levels. And so, you know, you're handed something and you figure it out, um, you know, either preferably with other people, but if not, then, you know, you do your part to figure it out. And, you know, for me, when we talk about valences, that's in terms of like background and groups I've been a part of. I mean, it, it, in my mind, it, it kind of fits and it's a no wonder, you know, that um, I might show up to a group with that valence in mind. Mm-hmm. Definitely. That's super cool. Well, one, I'm just so shocked. I'm like, I don't know why I'm shocked. I'm like, you definitely have the body type for basketball. <laughs> I'm like, we should definitely figure out a conference location that has an outdoor court somewhere so we can shoot some hoops in between uh, and such. <laughs> um, I'm definitely not. <laughs> I'm a lot less disciplined. Um, I did dance for a lot of my childhood, like ballet, modern, tap jazz, et cetera, African, um, and then quit when I got to high school. I played trumpet for a few years and quit when I got to middle school and all the cool kids were at the free period hanging out and I didn't want to be dragging around an instrument with me. Um, I'm like, what else have I tried and quit? I used to do <laughs> I'm like, church is definitely like a big community uh, for me that I feel like definitely taught me things, some of which I rejected and some of which I've, you know, taken on as my own. I feel like in a lot of ways, a lot of my upbringing was like very extreme. It was like either I totally soaked it up or like I totally rejected everything that was being told to me about how to exist in the world or what is okay and what's not okay. And one of my favorite quotes that I saw this year was like question everything and discover yourself in the process. And I feel like that's always been like my way of navigating spaces. Like my mom's like, don't do this, like very authoritarian type of parenting. And I'm always like, why, why not? <laughs> you know, so I feel like we clashed a lot because her upbringing was like, children I seen and I heard, and you do what I say or else. And I was always very much like, I'm going to push that envelope a little bit more and I'm going to, ask questions or like, okay, I'm gonna do what you're saying, but like, I'm gonna still say something about it while I'm doing it. <laughs> just so you know, like, this isn't okay. Um, in the same way with my teachers in school, like I was always, you know, great grades, but my behavior grades were always the question because I was either, you know, chatting or asking too many questions or being sarcastic at various points, which um, also just a part of my identity that I love, but also I know gets me in trouble sometimes. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just feel like those things for me, along with like how being a female bodied black child in Philadelphia, like an urban city, but like going to very diverse schools too. So I didn't really feel so much of I didn't notice the racial dynamics as much because it didn't feel like I was a singleton in that way. Like I had a lot of other people that had similar types of dynamics that I had with teachers or with their parents, et cetera. 
it wasn't really until I got to college, I would say that I really, and I think also just being an adult and being more aware of how the world really responds to me um, as a definitely more of a singleton at a predominantly white institution, PWI, um, and really learning what that means as far as um, how do I take up space? How do I not let people silence me? How do I understand that people are going to have whatever perspective that they have on me? And do I want to concern myself with dispelling that perspective? Or do I just want to say F them <laughs> and like go for it? So, and that's usually the direction I've gone in. But I think group relations has helped me not to say just F whoever doesn't like me, but to try and find a medium to build that bridge across, but to still be curious along the way. So I feel like that's a really roundabout answer, not as linear and as like neat as, you know, Rod's might have been, but I feel like being an only child and just having a bunch of time in my hands, uh, thinking, questioning things my whole life and um, just, you know, being in, I would, I like to say I'm an extroverted introvert, um, which I guess that would be called an ambivert, <laughs> but, uh, which, yeah, close to my name. Uh, but yeah, I do feel like uh, I enjoy questioning things and having experiences, but then going back into myself and, and more and more being reflective and things like that. And so, I don't know, that's kind of, I feel like, what shaped me to be who I am. And I think because I was the only child, um, you know, I have to defend myself at any given point. Um, and I think also maybe my being an adopted person, even though I was adopted at a very young age, I don't remember life before I was with my family, I feel like that still is like in the back of my mind of like the fend for yourself mentality that I feel like some of the, um, you see a lot with maybe older foster youth too, um, because you are on your own from an early age. Air, I'm air quoting for people that are listening, <laughs> but for the <laughs> So yeah, Manny, how do you think you arrived at the valences that you have? Like what about your upbringing or communities you've been a part of do you feel like made you who you are as the peacemaker i grew up in a haitian family and um i was first generation uh in my family last of four uh kids and um two of my older siblings um are they they have a different father so we're a blended family so i grew up in a household like that and heavily haitian culture i used to go to school and I would try to um, speak to students and it was actually in Creole and I get in trouble for speaking Creole and then my parents would be like why are you speaking like Creole and in Creole and I'm like well because you're speaking to me in Creole here at home like I don't I don't know how else to answer that question so there goes that that should tell you a lot about my valence um now but um I I I mean we were like heavily religious my my parent my mom was like Seventh-day Adventist, my dad is um, a Catholic, so like, and then everyone was just everything Christian, so um, we were, we believed in Jesus, and um, that was the practice for a while. I went to a Catholic school, Catholic high school, um, and then my college um, experience was, um, was a public school, but then come in the University of San Diego where I met you all as a Catholic school. So I kind of capped it off there. Um, everyone in my family always thought I was going to be the preacher. Like, you know, I was going to be the, 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 the priest. And so that's what, you know, they wanted for me. But um, 
that did not work out that way. I mean, I think I still do some preaching for sure, but uh, uh-huh. <laughs> definitely not about <laughs> Jesus. Um, and so other than that, um, that's kind of, you know, I grew up in Boston. Um, I don't know, like, I want to link it to the things that y'all were talking about, but I think the only thing I can speak to now is a little bit of the valence piece. Um, and, you know, I think growing up, when I got into high school, there was a certain it, things in my family dynamic shifted. Um, we we were this, you know, big, happy old family, and then everyone and everything got dysfunctional. So for me, um, you know, it was something I wanted to escape so I could focus on school and focus on, you know, just productive things in my life. Um, and so, you know, when I think about it now, I think throughout my life, this sense of escape has always been my valence, really. Um, and it showed, right? Like it showed, you know, I mean, on the technical side, you know, we know how that showed with me dropping on the call and things like that. But um, there are times where in group relations spaces and any other spaces where I'm at work or um, settings where I just feel like I escape. And so the escaping that happens is more about either I'm hearing something and I'm thinking about, you know, like a, th- a thought to what I'm hearing. And so in some sense, I'm escaping. And, and the, the one common thread in all of it, leading back to my childhood growing up with my family now, like like everyone wants me to be present. Like everyone wants me to, to be there, you know? And so um, in that, sometimes I get lost and pulled between escaping and being there, escaping and being there. And so I think though that's really been a valence for me in the spaces that I've been into. And um, it, it's been interesting to just now think about how that came from, you know, my like adolescent life, um, you know, with this idea of, of escaping just so that you can be more productive. But in reality, I mean, you know, that's that's kind of like, you know, a double-edged sword where it's like, you know, being present is just as important as, you know, escaping to be productive. So um, here I am with that. Yeah, and I would say too, you at least the experience that you spoke about earlier with conferences and being the peacemaker, like that could also be from being the youngest and seeing the dysfunction in the family. And like, I don't know if you tried to be the peacemaker in your family dynamic and in your household, but huh. that, that would make sense for Yes, I, it's ironic. Okay, here's the irony. Here's the unconscious irony, right? So my name is Emmanuel. And when you translate that, it means God is with us, right? So again, my family's very um, Christian-based, biblical. And so there is this idea growing up that I was, you know, because then, you know, there's, oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, right? So I always thought like, I was this chosen one, right? Like, and then Matrix came out and all these movies talking about these people and I really was feeling myself, (laughs) feeling this identity that's actually projected onto me. Neo and like all these, you know, um, reiterations of being the chosen one. Um, I myself would hold this identity in some way. And it was interesting because I'm like, no, that's too much. That's too much to say about yourself, right? Like it's too much, but there is this, peace where when I'm home, everyone's happy. When I'm home, everyone's there. Whoever has problems with each other, like it doesn't even matter because like we can get through the time because like, you know, there's a peacekeeper there, right? So this idea that the peacekeeper and then that identity is actually what plays out in a lot of situations 
um, now in all the roles that I'm in. So I think that's interesting because I didn't, I didn't make that connection until you just mentioned that. Uh, that's what we're here for. <laughs> yeah, it's it's so it's crazy. Um, which it's weird because it's like you know connecting back to all the stuff like being a priest, all that stuff. It's like is that it? Is that what it is for me? Because I think there's a part of owning it and accepting it that I struggle with, that I struggled with then and I still struggle with now. It's like, you know, because then it's like, if I do that, I become confined to that, right? So like anytime I'm around someone, oh, here's Manny the Peacekeeper. And it's like, as if I couldn't be anything else. And that's the part where I get annoyed because it's like, I don't want to just be that. I want to have days where I'm the one causing problems and I'm not necessarily like, in peacekeeper mindset or mode or you know does that make sense mm-hmm. yeah so i think that goes into kind of the conversation of like how do we give people their back but like in a way that they can hear it work with us through it um rather than like further load you up or you know feel like attacked or something like that by it so then I guess, have any of these valences... Oh, wait, Lauren, I don't think you shared about yours. <laughs> just showed up right there. Just shine, just stay quiet right in the corner and just wait till time passed her by because she said it's too vulnerable. They might use things against me. Amen. <laughs> Y'all are funny. No, I was actually sitting here getting filled up with all sorts of things going, oh, crap. Emotions flinging. And also, um, what will I say when it's my turn to speak? Uh, And I'm feeling called to say, too, that I think it's important that we're having this conversation and that listeners maybe take the time to consider where their own valences come from. And I was thinking of my friend who's a different GRI co-creator who runs um, a workshop on self-awareness and how important it is to like build awareness about where our roots are from in ways like we're discussing right now in order to like better utilize ourselves in in the work and in life um, and better tap into ourselves as instrument, which is a term that we use in the group relations world a lot to sort of um, express where we're at but utilizing my own self as instrument in this moment I see ever going yeah go ahead girl yeah, you sound <laughs> like you're putting a bow on it but I ain't see any of your wrapping papers <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah I don't know it's interesting like so many things came up as I was listening to all of you share your stories and it does feel vulnerable to share about but I think for me I've always kind of struggled in life because I've grown up in a very um, kind of binary environment in a lot of different ways from the time I was like out the womb. For instance, like my parents grew up pretty religious. I mean, my mom specifically grew up Southern Baptist and my father is Jewish and religion growing up for them was a big part of their lives, but they stopped practicing any form of religion by the time I was born. I grew up in a family where there was really untraditional modeling of what a marriage could look like and alternative lifestyles. And um, the house was like very liberal. And even so, it was also very structured. Um, Everyone in my immediate family is a lawyer. You know, they're very by the book, by the law. We're going to do things right. We're going to have strong morals and values. And they're also, um, you know, very non-traditional 
And I also grew up um, very privileged and also around, you know, undocumented immigrants who I knew and loved very closely. And, um, you know, I saw the way that people interacted with them who did not grow up in that environment. And, and that pattern has kind of continued throughout my life where half of the time I'm in X world and half of the time I'm in Y world. And it's created a really confusing emotional upheaval for me to understand um, who I am and which pieces of myself I want to put forth or I do put forth which maybe is part of my valence. I think I'm um, a confusing human in a lot of ways, or that's like how I think of my own self. Um, but yeah, with regard to the valences that we spoke about earlier, perhaps that provocateur and even what you were sharing, Amber, I think is really important. I think coming out later in life when I was like 27, when you start questioning your identity in a way that's most people who are straight never question. It creates the opportunity to question, as you were saying, everything in your life and really figure out like who you are and what you're about. And I think that identity of provocateur kind of ties into that or even being reactionary because I think that when you allow your, yourself the space to sort of explore out of the natural way that you're supposed to be, people do view that as provocative or they do view it as reactionary. Oh, are you like, I've had people say, Oh, are you doing X thing because it's cool? And it's like, no, I'm not doing X thing because it's cool. I'm doing X thing because it's me. And the fact that you're even asking that says more about you as a projection than about me and what I'm doing. Um, so yeah, I guess that's my share on this topic. There's clearly way much more to unpack in that. Thank you for sharing that. That's really cool. And I feel like I also, in a lot of ways, think about like living in liminal spaces. That's something that one of our group relations, people that we rub elbows with um, often says a lot too, but I feel like that's very real for me. So like being on the borders or on the cusps or on the precipice, I think, you know, having been fostered and adopted, like that's a being on the cusp, I think being non-binary puts me on the cusp. Um, I think, you know, knowing that I was queer, but like masculine early, like I feel like that kind of like female body, but masculine, like, and not having an intention to want to go all the way to the other side. Like, so I just feel like, yeah, there's a lot of ways, um, or like being from like, you know, an urban city, like all my friends call me two degrees <laughs> when I got back from California, like as if like, that was, it set me apart from my community in some ways. Um, but then I feel like when I was at USD, I felt very much set apart from a lot of the people that were there too. So I think, yeah, that being kind of back, oscillating back and forth between different worlds is something that I can definitely relate with. And I think, you know, having lived in different cities and different countries, like the, all of that really does combine to make a pretty interesting experience of like, okay, nothing is just like a broad brush stroke, but like, do we want, like, I enjoy that my life like, is so dynamic or that the things that have filtered into me over the years or the way that I view the world is not so linear and is not so, you know, broad stroke or not so expected or predictable, whatever that means. And I think people who well, I'm not going to pass judgment, but I have a hypothesis that some people that are like that are mostly because they're just on the conveyor belt and they haven't actually taken the time to really dig into themselves. Um, so. 
Yeah, I, I think one of the things that you know has been coming up for me as I've been listening to all of our stories is that the conversation around valences, projections, and projective identifications, and really going through the story of like how these mm -hmm. things have shown up for each of us, that you begin to better able to locate yourself, you know, in the social dynamic, whatever that dynamic is. And I think, you know, one of the things I left out when I was speaking to, but it's come up in, in my mind as a common theme among us and, and how these valences are showing up among us is this idea of the uh, that liminal space, like being caught in between two, you know, states, if you will, uh, of existing or, you know, right in the middle of a transition between one phase to the next. Um, in my world, you know, that shows up really well, you know, going back and forth between going to a Protestant church and then to a Catholic school. I mean, they're both pointing fingers at each other as like, hey, you're going to go to hell, but we are the ones who are doing the right thing. I'm like, what just happened here? Uh, right, right. I thought we were all Christians with all of that. So, you know, that's just one of many examples around that. You know, I'm, I'm Black, African-American. Um, but I went to a predominantly white school, so it was constantly being between two different worlds and, and learning how to transition uh, those spaces. But, but uh, code switches is one of those terms that does come up there. But uh, but yeah, you know, you talk about you know the more that we're having this conversation, and I'm thinking about it, you know, um, it, it it it's. I wouldn't change anything, you know, about my life. I appreciate, you know, where I've come from. I appreciate the lessons I've learned. I appreciate, you know, what I've been able to do, having had all those experiences. But I do find it helpful, you know, to kind of understand a little bit more about the, my particular valence and how I now show up or how I've been conditioned or how I have practiced showing up in order to be part of a group or not. Um, the projections, what people do, don't want to deal with, how they will throw it my way and how I identify with those, you know, it is good to now have a choice around that yeah. on what I want to give back and how I choose to show up. Yeah. Choice. That's the best part. <laughs> so I think once you know, then you can choose. So I'm like, if you don't know what you don't know, you just going along to get along. <laughs> <laughs> so. True, true. Right. So like, so when, you know, cause, okay. So, so we've, we've talked about these. Um, how, where does this show up in a conference for us in, in the experience? Well, I think one thing that was coming to mind that ties to what you just asked, Manny, is like, so what's the relevance of it all? And I think, Amber, you just spoke to it. But to say that, like, the importance of understanding what our valences is and building our self-awareness not only is important in a conference space, but in life, once we understand what, our valence is we can choose if we want to continue doing that right like or not um okay let me rephrase the question then so we know that we can we can find we can identify our valences at conferences and get there um there's groups in which we function specific ways and you said code switching earlier so um for me um i for example I, at work, I work with the same people. In working with the same people, we've taken on a certain identity as a group. And I show up in that group 
in a certain way versus going to a conference and showing up a different way. So I was just curious if that changes for you all, depending on who you're around, um, or is it, do you just come in with your own valences or are there, are there spaces where you get into where you can't bring that valence to that space and you have to conform to a different valence? Valences don't shift kind of to Rod's point earlier. Like there are things about like how you grew up and your social identities that intersect to create a way that you kind of walk the world and navigate the world. Um, but like projective identifications and projections are going to shift because the group constellation is different. Um, so I think that that's where you're going to see more of like, okay, while I'm in this group and we have more personal relationships, like I might experience a lot fewer projections or you know a lot more about me that you're not going to like put certain things into me. But if I, you know, walk out of here and I go meet with three strangers, I'm a lot more likely and liable to get a bunch of shit thrown at me because they don't really have a foundation to understand me. But like my valence hasn't shifted. Like I'm still a short fuse, but like I'm not going to be put backed into a corner probably often slash maybe at all. At least I haven't so far since we've been working together um, to the point where like I'm set into that, even though that's something that I can easily access. But like in a group of strangers like that, might look different depending so manny if i if i'm understanding your question it sounds like you're asking if i am in a particular group you know am i able do these concepts around valence projections projective identifications play out differently uh, that's how i'm understanding your question um and at a group relations conference you have the opportunity or even in a class that's built around this uh, like adaptive leadership, for example, uh, you have an opportunity to to explore just that. You know, what are the different cues that set off, you know, a particular valence for me? And this goes back to the definition that you spoke to earlier, Lauren, about, you know, the object relations to it. Um, that's a real technical term for saying that as we have grown up in our lives, we have developed relationships, you know, with different social cues that have been conditioned because of our life experiences. And when those cues start showing up, we begin to take up an automatic response to that. Um, and so the group relations conference allows you to be able to see that or at least explore that, you know, if that's where your particular path takes you in a group relations conference. So yeah, so it is possible that you could show up and different social cues will kick off and because of your life experiences, you will take on a different role within that group. And then, you know, to Amber's point earlier, um, a more uh, non-academic way of talking about that, well, which is, you know, kind of academic, um, is, is the code switching piece. Um, where you walk in, you're like, mm, I've assessed the situation. I need to act this way in order to do whatever this group is doing. Uh -huh. One example that I have, and it's kind of related, is that a trigger for me to get angry is definitely like racists. <laughs> um, but like before, when I first was like new to group relations, it's like anything, like I'm coming in with a very um, 
activist hat. I was very active my senior year of college. Um, and like we talked about last time, there was a lot of race relations things kind of like this past summer and um, the summer of 2016 as well. And so when I heard someone called me colored <laughs> in my class, like that sent me through the roof. Like I, like one was in shock. And then I was like, is no one going to address this? And then like, I tried to like address him directly. And then like, he just kept talking over me and it was a TA. So there was also like a power dynamic and he was a white guy. Um, and like, I had to leave the room and like, I cried. And when I cry, it's mostly usually because I'm angry, not because I'm sad, but like, because like, I can't physically manifest this anger in any way without like getting kicked out of school in my first semester. Um, and so like, that was a big trigger for me. But then when I TA'd the next semester or next year for the same class, someone said colored again in that class, but because I had done so much work between when I first got introduced to youth relations to my first conference, to the Matter of Black Lives conference, then by the time I got to TA, like I had done that work where like I wasn't as riled up, I wasn't as moved off centered. Um, and like even recently I've had a situation where <laughs> color came up again um, and I was, uh, I don't remember if I was consulting to that group or just observing it might've because I think it was in the small group, so it must have been inside, yeah, my small group. But, like, again, like, I'm so far developed now that, like, it's, it's almost, like, laughable. Because I'm like, okay, like, I know, I can see beyond just the term, and I can see that, like, okay, you're trying to work with something and grapple with information. So, like, I'm not going to, like, bury you or, like, scapegoat you or, like, kill you off for, like, saying a word when, like, the learning is what happens after that exchange and, like, how can... I see what you're actually meaning to say or how can we work together to say like, okay, like you can, if you say that it does elicit a reaction out of other people, I'm not as emotionally charged by it, but like, I wouldn't advise you say that in a room full of black people or something like that. So I think that's like one example of like the ways in which you can grow out of a trigger. And that doesn't mean that like, if someone that was a stranger came up to me while I was in the market and called me colored out of nowhere that that wouldn't set me off. But I think, like, again, it's about, like, that discernment piece or, like, knowing, like, okay, like, I can actually take a moment, be present, and, like, make a decision for myself rather than just react because that's what I'm liable to do or that's what I have done in the past type of thing. You know, um, thanks for, for sharing that, Amber. And at the same time, I'm curious, too, like, you know, that experience sounds traumatic. And I think these experiences, that first experience you had when you heard it um, being called colored. So like, how, how do you stick through that? Like, how did you decide to continue and not, not return to, to the experience? Because I don't think that's, that's an easy task. Um, if I'm understanding your question correctly, you're asking me how did, did I change my reaction to it over time? Cause like in the moment, the first time it happened, that that I would say that that was me being very reactionary, me falling right into my valence, me being very angry. Like that was one of the final straws to make me go into a vow of silence. So like all of those things were very much like alive um, and well for me. And I think just as far as like beyond that conference experience and moving forward, I think again, it was like, even looking back at it now, what she was trying to say was that the three black people in the class 
it seemed like we're always being put pit against the white people in the class and that it basically was turning into a civil war in the class. But because of his haste and speaking too fast, he was trying to say, I believe, and this is like when I can reflect on it without the emotion, like people of color, but it seemed like he like stuttered at first and then he said color people. And so for me, it was like, okay, like that rubs me the wrong way. I'm going to stop you so I can be like, hey, you know, do you know what you just said? And I think for me, it was more about like the lack of trying to hear my perspective or like him talking over me to make it feel more like, okay, well, if it wasn't then an accident, then it must have been on purpose type of thing. But I think now it's like, okay, maybe it's hard to get people to work with you in that moment. Like my hypothesis is like, okay, he might've been flustered or embarrassed and like me calling him out or whatever as a TA might've been like a, a negative experience for him. So instead of him be actually being able to hear my complaint, like he was just reacting to defend himself. And so like, it took him two weeks later to come back in the class and be like, okay, like I can own what I said. And I talked to my grandma and like, I, and because of his history and his balances, like, he's like, oh, my grandma is actually pretty racist. And I was hanging out with her, you know, this weekend and she was saying certain things that I'm like, dang, these things are probably like embedded in my, you know, my psyche, even if like consciously, I don't feel like, you know, I carry those things like subconsciously, I might still be carrying a little bit of that history with me. And so like, I can own it, but it took him to be removed in order to own that. And I think for me, like if I had brought it to him, removed from the moment that he said it, he, we might've been able to build that bridge faster, but because I fell into the angry valence and we were already having a us versus them dynamic in the group, that I think it just continued to cycle in that same dynamic. So just kind of building on that, Manny, as I understand the question that you asked Amber, it, it sounds like you're asking for what the kind of, like, how does learning take place in an environment like this when you bump up against something like this, you know, your own valence and, and what have you? And this is where the deep learning and group relations, you know, really takes place, I offer. Um, it's, you remember that you have to go to the valence, so you kind of want to, you're becoming aware of the valence in the first place. But then the projection kicks in, and remember that the projection is what you attribute to someone else that you yourself are not ready to deal with. Like your ego has said, we shall not do this now, okay? And the projection is hitting you and you're working through that. And now your ego is saying, you know, we, we have to deal with this. And then this is where these unconscious and subconscious processes of groups and group relations really starts to manifest itself. And so, yeah, it, it's one of those things that it, it can be a shock to the system, it's possible, but it doesn't have to be though. We can be curious about, you know, what's happening within us. And as Amber has, has shared, you know, go and explore. Okay, so I'm feeling some kind of way about this. How, you know, if, if I go through my life story or my life experiences, have I shown up? What is taking place from this group? You know, what's coming at me? What am I really fighting against? Do I really want that? Do I not? So, I mean, it's a highly reflective process um, that I would offer. Um, it's a learning opportunity in and of itself. It's not something that takes, you know, that you're going to do in a matter of minutes. Like, you're going to do it and be like, aha, you know, I got it. You know, it, 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 if it's truly a trigger, you won't like if it's you know. There's lighter moments where that might happen, but like the deep-seated ones, like 
like we say, the spiral is important because the learning comes back around to you and back around to you and back around to you until you actually deal with it. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah. So anyway, so the 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 idea though is to you know be curious about what's going on, you know, in your experiences and and to give it time, you know, give it time. And what we hear, you know, at the end of this experience, you know, if we stick to it and you know we're we're generally are going through it, you learn something really interesting on the other end of it. And I realize we're kind of going off script here, but this is idea about not demonizing the other person. This is what, you know, you're, what I heard you speaking to Amber was that uh-huh. as you both went and learned and gave yourself time to reflect and to go through that learning process on your own, you were able to have an understanding and an appreciation for the kind of learning that both of you were involved in. And that both of you hated each other for in order to get to that deeper learning, uh-huh. which makes me wonder, you know, like how are valences and, you know, our own valences and projections and projective identifications are showing up in this group. That's kind of what it makes me think about, you know, uh-huh. constellation type format. It's a good question. I've also been sitting here thinking, like, have I seen? I mean, I I think definitely with Mandy, we've seen a few times, like the peacemaker, like let's keep everyone together and on track. And I think, like, to for like your family dynamic, like the everyone's excited and everything's not so Mandy's here. But I think you know, unfortunately, because you've had actual like issues accessing us, like on multiple levels and multiple counts, like it is exciting when you finally can break through and access us fully and we can fully access you. So I think, but I think, again, my hypothesis is that we would feel that way about any of us if we were having that issue. But because you're the one having that issue, then I think that that brings the like dynamic of like, oh, oh, great, he's here and we can hear him. And, you know, he's ready and we're ready and we're connecting. And so I wonder if some of that, like with your family of like you're the only one that lives so far away and like it's not any fault to yours like you're living your life you're doing what you need to do um you have a whole other family that you're nurturing and creating for yourself and like so when you come around it is a big deal you know so I feel like some of that maybe like kind of the Rod's point like some stuff we don't want to own that like is not necessarily bad things you know to feel like loved and desired and to be welcomed with open arms uh, whenever you arrive to a space. So that's one thing that I'm present with. I'm still sitting with what Lauren was sharing earlier. Um, well, I mean, I should just say with Lauren, what you were sharing earlier about being triggered or filled up with what uh, Manny was sharing or while Manny was sharing. Um, I, I, that, that's something I'm pulling the thread on. So. Right. Give you maybe like emotions that Manny's not actually willing to express externally. Um, it's, it's something between the two, you know. I, it's something that Lauren, something that Manny was sharing, and something that Lauren was picking up on. I uh, was getting filled up by. I mean, that's that's what I'm sitting with in terms of how valence projections and projective identifications are showing up here. I want to expand on that because it wasn't even just Manny, it's all of you. And one thing that I'm really present with is I'm the only really feminine presenting person on this call. Um, Amber, for those that don't know them, like presents is more masculine. Um, and I 
obviously know Amber very well. And I know that as in their being and their humanness, they are not like uh, tapped into their emotions or express them in the same way that I do or would. Um, And, you know, so I think I hold a lot of that, but it also is distracting at times. And it doesn't just happen on this call because I do get caught up in emotions about things that happened and then I'm having to internally fight through that as I'm trying to also be focused in the present about whatever is happening in the moment. Yeah. Well, I wonder too if you allow Rob to join you because he stated earlier like he feels like he's an emotional being, but like there's not really room for the group to accept his emotionality and to allow him to maybe express and have take take that up with you. Um, and obviously, I think me and Manny could try to, but I'm like, he stated that he's willing and open and available. And like, that's something that is a piece of him. And so I think, you know, we would be doing him a disservice by like not continuing to name it to continue to elevate yeah. that piece. Yeah. Be in community with them in that. Yeah. I just like, I just kept you in that box again by what I just said, Brad. So sorry. Even after you like very blatantly were like, yeah, I have emotions. <laughs> for anyone that can't see which is everyone he's wiping his non-existent tears <laughs> yeah and of course it's so true right like on the flip side amber i know that you have lots of emotions inside of you and are a very like sweet loving tender heart underneath that all it's just not like your front presentation all the time and manny i get the same vibe from you i just don't know you quite as well but as i get to know you better i'm like oh okay so yeah yeah, we all have emotions. Is that, is that what the valence of the group is, is? Is our emotions? No, but I think it's more about emoting um, and taking up the emotional weight. Because I'm like, yes, we all have emotions, but like a lot of the stuff, like like you said, the vulnerabilities of our valences and how we arrived at these valences are real. And like there were some like real hard lessons that we had to learn along the way that made us who we are. And I think. I wrote inside the chat, like pressure makes diamonds. Like the more that we are clamped down on, the more that we do have to question and be able to see more of ourselves and and allow more of ourselves to show through beyond what people's expectations or what we were told growing up or et cetera. So I think that that experience of turning from a caterpillar and having all those things cocooning around you and being that butterfly like it's a beautiful end thing but there's a lot of pain and stretching and shifting and morphing that happens along that journey as you discover pieces of yourselves and I think that Lauren at least was very in touch with that weight and that heaviness of it and I know that I wasn't so I can own that by not being in touch I'm filling her up with it and I don't know Rod if you also felt that weight and just didn't speak to it um or if we as a group were colluding and not giving you some of that or allowing you to feel some of that too. All right, so we feel like we're good to wrap. We feel like we gave the people enough to chew on for this time. I think so. You forgot the end of I know, I'm just, I was making sure we were good before I did the ending. <laughs> oh, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. yeah. yeah. Blue <laughs> Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you all for joining us for this episode of Beyond the Boundaries, a group relations podcast brought to you by Group Relations International. We look forward to seeing you all with us next time.